So look, we advocated for this idea a little bit earlier today here in the fast lane, and you can opine on whether it makes sense or not, or however you wish to. Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm sure there are folks that are out there that have more knowledge of whether this is in the works or not, if it's feasible or not. And again, I don't blame Liberty University that the majority of their focus right now is getting people to Glendale, Arizona, where the Arizona Cardinals Stadium is, because that is where the team will be playing in the Fiesta Bowl January 1st. But, I mean, the men's basketball team happens to have an 11 a.m. tip-off against Boyce. And again, I still don't know who they are. But Boyce College on New Year's Day, and why not open the Liberty Arena afterwards for fans to watch? So maybe I'm off base. Maybe I'm daydreaming with that idea. Maybe it makes a lot of sense. But uh, we'll throw it kind of loosely to WSLS reporter Eric Johnson, who makes his debut with us today here in the Fast Lane. Eric, a pleasure to speak with you. The idea, watch parties around the Liberty Flames and the Fiesta Bowl appearance, feasible or not, given the amount of hype that this monumental stepping stone for the program has uh, has gotten over the last few days? I think it's, I think it's feasible. Um, I, I love it. Uh, you know, it, like you said, it's it's quite a long trek out that way, right? So you got you got to if you can't get the people there, let's at least get their eyes on the game in a way in which you know they want to see it. And why not around some other Flames fans, right? Yeah, no question. And uh, I mean, obviously, you've been over to Williams Stadium a handful of times this year. This is the second best year that they've had attendance. Personally, of course, I'll just attribute that to our InsaneRadioDeals.com specials that we had for Liberty tickets. But you know, aside from that, Eric, you've been there for a number of games this year. How much have you seen the fans embrace Jamie Chabwell from the start of the year where, let's be honest, it seemed like that's when there was more trepidation to the end of the year where they were on the field celebrating with Jamie Chabwell as the Flames won Conference USA last Friday night? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like you have a girl, you're taking on a date, you don't know what to expect, you don't know what's going to happen, and then you end up married two years later. You know, it's kind of been nice to see the fans kind of love on, on Coach and kind of understand and really take him in. And I talked about that uh, just before the the championship game uh, last week, seeing how they've embraced him, embraced what he's trying to do, what he wants to do. And and then when you see, anytime you see good results come from that, you're going to get the fanfare, you're going to get the love, you're going to have the appreciation. And and really the student section as well. I mean, those students were pumped up uh, really all season long. I mean, it was midweek games, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and then the championship game, they came out and showed him love and support. Um, and so I just came to really appreciate how they've really grown on the team and really the community at large has grown on the program, gotten behind them so much. And, and now they're at this momentous peak in the you know historic season that they continue to have once again. Their season opener was a noon kickoff at the tail end of – August, maybe the beginning of September, whatever it was, that Saturday of Labor Day weekend, and it was a mm-hmm. hot day, a noon kickoff, and it wasn't the most uh, you know festive in terms of the volume of fans that were at Williams Stadium, but obviously we know what it became over the course of the season where, where fans embraced it, and you mentioned that a moment ago as Eric Johnson of WSLS is in the fast lane. Bringing all that up, Eric, most notably to say... How much of it is the fact that when you had the Hugh Freeze era, and it didn't end very well, but he he brought a different cachet to the program when he helped them make that transition uh, more firmly as a team that could win big-level games in the 1A FBS ranks. He leaves and goes to Auburn. How much of that was maybe natural 
trepidation at the beginning when Jamie Chabal took over to obviously seeing the product on the field this past year. And, well, when you win and go 12-0 in the regular season and win the conference championship, that can change things. Right. No, I totally agree. I think it was some some trepidation there, and, and for good reason, right? I mean, we saw exactly what he had done at his last stop there at Coastal Carolina, but whenever you see a coach come to your own territory, your own campus, you want to see him prove himself right here, right now. And, and, you know, we had some of that carryover, I believe, from the, the Hugh Freeze era, uh, and rightly so. I mean, he was a big, you know, splashy name, splashy coach who was, you know, getting his footing back into the into the college coaching realm. Um, so to see that carryover mixed with trepidation, there was some, some hesitancy from fans. I can understand that. Uh, but I, I think by midseason, by those, you know, midweek on the mountain games, as they dubbed, um, people were bought in. They were ready to see this team say, you know what? They said they want to win a championship year one with this guy. He claimed it when he was introduced uh, back in, you know, last December. And they might well go do it. And they did it. And, you know, credit to Coach Chadwell uh, for not only, you know, just blurting that out there, but really having the confidence that they could get this thing done. How much of the success, and Eric Johnson, WSLS sports reporter and weekend anchor, is with us here in the Fast Lane discussing that. He's at E10 Sports on Twitter. We're Fast Lane, Ed Lane on our social media platforms to connect uh, with us as well. But how much of this also is that this is a system that works really well, and while there was a lot of roster turnover, the most key component is what you can do at quarterback, and it does help to have a former SEC quarterback and an SEC recruiting Caden Salter who justified a lot of that talent as the season wore on. Yeah, I think that's been a huge piece to the puzzle. Um, You know, two years ago, we all know what Malik Willis did, and just flat-out amazing Last year, there was kind of this, you know, shuffle-type era, what I call it, but they were still successful. Um, so I think there was a lot to be proven at that spot this year. And Caden Salter, to his credit and to the credit of that coaching staff that's come in, I mean, he picked it up as if he's been learning this thing since preschool, right? So he's picked it up, elevated it, and taken it to a new level, and just seeing how dynamic he can be, but also how dynamic he opens up the entire offense it's just been a thing of beauty. I, I mean, there was only really one game in which he really didn't perform a ton, but the one game he did it, the the rushing game came open. I believe it was over 400 yards rushing. So, and that was the, the UTEP game. Uh, so, seeing all of that flourish and seeing him become a leader, they talked about it all year. He's become such a solid leader in the in the locker room. He seems like he's, you know, a little more social, likely with the team versus us as media which I'm sure that's a lot of the kids, but, um, you know, seeing everybody taking to him, and he's still, you know, in his in his own right, still rather young, you know. He's not like the, the oldest guy on the team, per se, but that experience that he does have uh, is truly coming to fruition now, and just him being a, a great decision maker uh, and really his poise. That's the one thing I've been, you know, blown away, uh, blown away by is his poise in the pocket or his poise to step out of the pocket and make a, a, a big run and a big play. So there are three things to which you can attribute the growth of Caden Salter. As you referenced the poise that he's shown, Eric Johnson, WSLS sports reporter with us in the fast lane. It's it's Caden Salter maturing himself. It's a system that, that works extremely well and meshes perfectly with Caden Salter's talents. And then, you know, the other part being, you know, Caden Salter, not just, you know, his poise, but the maturity to get to that particular point. 
How much have you noticed Tim Mature, even over the course of the season where he had that midseason game where they were sloppy and he forgot to get his helmet and uh, you know he kind of took accountability for that, something that seemed to maybe have been lacking in prior years, but Jamie Chadwell kind of put it out there early, expecting maturity from Caden Salter, constantly dangling that carrot, and then in the biggest moments, he and the Flames were rewarded as Salter is the guy that really helped them gain that separation against New Mexico State. Absolutely. I agree. The, the maturity level, I think when you when you give certain guys goals in which to attain and then they want to attain them not only for themselves but for the team, it really shows a difference. And I think this is exactly the case we have with Caden Salter. He's a guy that wants to excel, but he's a he's truly a team guy. Everything that comes out of his mouth is is for the team. Personal accolades, great, cool. I mean, he, you know, Conference USA MVP, and I'm sure he'll tell us, at this very moment, if we talk to them, uh, my guys, my guys got me there. Um, and really, they set the goals in front of him. The coaching staff did. He set the goals in front of himself as well. Um, but when you're being held accountable by the entire team uh, on top of all of that, then you have a sense of, hey, I have to perform at the best level. I have to be on. I need to be disciplined. Um, and, and with all of that, the maturity is just going to fall in line, let alone with the play on the field. Uh, so, it, again, it's been, a, it's been a perfect marriage, a perfect you know, way for him to execute uh, this system, and it, it really is a, a great fit for him. Eric Johnson of WSLS in the Fast Lane. Eric, at E10 Sports, your Twitter handle, you mentioned that you are 540 born and raised, so obviously proud mm-hmm. to be in the area. You've seen this Liberty team at certain points be on the wrong end of those coin flip scenarios for whether they get the playoff spot or not. How surprised were you that Liberty was on the right end of that getting the playoff spot, or I guess in this case the New Year's Six Bowl spot against Oregon, as opposed to being on the outside looking in? I think that was one of the more incredible things that came out of last week was, you know, and I made sure, I made a point of emphasis in saying it in my show, if this were 2024, they would be that 12th team in that 12-team field. And to see them be on that side of things, um, that's incredible. I mean, that, that is absolutely incredible. Granted, a certain, you know, certain blocks had to fall, per se, in terms of other conference championship games and, and, and other teams not stepping up uh, at the right moments. Um, obviously, the committee being a little different this year in terms of, uh, you know, another ACC team. We'll get into that. But, you know, um, it, it, it was incredible to see everything truly fall in line with what this program has been building towards. And as they've been saying, 50 years in the making in terms of this being a vision in which Falwell wanted to see from back then. Um, but finally seeing that coin, you know, kind of flip on their side and in their favor, um, that was, I think that was one of the more exciting things out of the entire weekend. So so you put that into perspective on the excitement for Liberty and the, the motions that they feel going to a bowl. Uh, and we can get into the matchups at another time uh, as Liberty and Oregon will battle. And, heck, we probably should wait because we'll have a better clarity on who might be in or out for the Ducks in the age of opt-outs. But Virginia Tech, they get back to a bowl, uh, the military bowl, first time in a couple of years, but really the first time since before COVID when they're in a bowl where they can actually enjoy it as opposed to mm-hmm. COVID or coaching changes or anything else. But yet, when I, when I heard Brent Price speak after the announcement a couple of days ago, it seemed to, to me that they're glad to be in this bowl. Obviously, it was a reward at the end of the year to qualify, but their attention already turning to the roster. How much of that is 
wondering whether Virginia Tech would be motivated to play in the military bowl against Tulane. How much of that is more a coaching staff that understands that the roster turnover reality can pop up at any point? And oh, by the way, when they had the press conference, he had just found out that they would even be playing Tulane in the bowl. Yeah, no, I, I think the the latter portion of that, understanding that the turnover, it, it can be great, and it and it very, may very well be great. And we've seen a number of, of, of tech guys saying, you know, entering the portal and such, but still playing in the game. I think this coaching staff of Virginia Tech, their expectations were a little bit higher than what they did this year, and, and rightly so. I mean, the talent level that they have, um, I, I believe the way by the time they got it together towards the end of the season, this you know should have been an eight or nine win team. Um, the way that they ended up playing towards the the stretch part of the season. So when they know that they've achieved this perhaps one goal, okay, we're back in bowl conversations. I, I think the future is so bright there in Blacksburg. Granted, despite you know some of the roster turnover, they got some cornerstone guys, especially quarterback position, some receivers, uh, a couple of few D linemen and DBs that are that are staying around. That this thing has a chance of being very special. On top of their job of being able to recruit, you know, much better than the last regime, um, I think they have every reason to be super excited to be back in bowl conversations, but even more excited for what they can do beyond just this bowl game and beyond even just next season. You know, I think this staff is really focused in on a true two- to three-year plan of righting this ship and getting Tech back in those national conversations. Eric, there's the most dangerous question out there, and it's the one that starts with, is it just me? Is it just me, though, or for Virginia Tech right now and getting to this particular bowl game It is a breath of fresh air for their fans just because they weren't able to enjoy the last bowl, which is the pinstripe bowl in New York because it was a coaching staff change. And even before that, they had the bowl where they played the last game of the year against Marshall, which they scheduled on the fly to become bowl eligible. That this is the first time in five, six years where Virginia Tech fans have actually been able to say, hey, we feel good about this program and we feel good about being in this game. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's the one question that I posed to Coach Pryor was how exciting is it to, in a sense, get this bowl streak restarted again, you know? Uh, and, and I think the bigger picture, that's what this simply is. It's, okay, all right, it's the military bowl. All right, third time ever. We were back in it in, in 2018. Here we go again. Or that may have even been 2017 uh, when they when they played Cincinnati last. But, um, you know, I think that's the general feeling. Okay, we know we can do more. We can do better, but this is a bowl game. It's one we're familiar with. It's an opportunity to have one more game, but let's build on this, you know, and and not in the sense of looking down at the military bowl, but in the sense of looking down at perhaps how they finished with this record. It's simply saying we know we're better than this. Now we're eager to, to prove it by ending the season the right way and going into the offseason with a ton of momentum, as Coach Prime mentioned, um, you know, this program is on a, a big upward trajectory, in my opinion, and I think they got a lot of special things to come with the pieces that they're keeping around for sure. E10 Sports, WSLS, they're the ways to connect with Eric Johnson. Of course, we're at Fast Lane, Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we will shout out our own Trey Lyle VT, his Twitter accounts for Trey, our producer. Um, Eric, shifting away from college football to high school, and we'll wrap things up this way. We got more time to get into basketball at another time, but. High school football championship weekend. 
What if I told you that of the three and four A games that'll be taking place at Liberty University this coming Saturday, the two local teams in this game would be what the the Salem Spartans in the four A game, preceded by the LCA Bulldogs in the three A game. If you were to tell me that, I would say, you know what? That's probably going to be right. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that just makes sense in life, right? And it makes sense that these two teams, they started the season against each other. So that's the other incredible thing to see how the only loss Salem has is LCA, and they've been on a run since then, and LCA simply has not given up against anybody, but yet their closest game was against Salem. I believe it was a seven-point, just a seven-point win week one. Um, but seeing how these two teams execute, I, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a no-brainer. Yep, they're going to be back there. They're going to do their thing. Can they come out on top? That's a bigger question. You know, we'll, we'll definitely see what happens Saturday. I think there's some, some stiff competition in front of both of those teams. In my opinion, stiffer competition in front of Salem, considering what, you know, their opponent, Phoebus, um, not only did last time to LCA, but now stepping up to the Class 4 ranks in terms of the championship. So it makes sense. It makes sense, you know. <laughs> you, you're right about that. So for LCA and their particular matchup, do you see a different look out of this team? Obviously, you mentioned the game they lost by seven or they won by seven at Salem to open the year, and that being their close game. Uh, but, I mean, they dispatched William Byrd pretty handily. We saw him a few weeks ago against Jefferson Forest uh, when the Cavaliers gave it a game for a half, and then LCA mm-hmm. kind of asserted themselves afterwards. Is there a different look in the eye of this LCA team having had heartbreak the last couple of years? There is. There is. And, and I, I spoke with these guys just a couple of nights ago as they were wrapping up practice. And a lot of them remember that heartbreak in the state final a couple of years ago. Granted, they were young, you know, but that's that's kind of how their high school careers, you know, started off in a sense. And now they're saying, you know what, this is a chance to not only finish off what we started this year, let's kind of try and make up for what we, you know, left in terms of unfinished business on the field from a couple of seasons ago, um, I, I like just their attention to detail is so amazing. And really out of both of these teams, but for a team, as Coach Rocco said, with just 30 players on it, I mean, and you're a Class 3 school, so your number's typically a little bit bigger than that. Um, but for them to come out and execute the way that they have week in and week out, relentless on offense, relentless on defense, um, there's a lot to be said about what this staff has done in terms of just conditioning alone. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. They do so much running. I mean, I've, I've watched them do full practices this year, and then they're still running after practice another 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, it, it, it's incredible to see what they go through just to get ready and be ready in terms of stamina throughout an entire four-quarter game. That's crazy. But yet, this is the time of year where you dawn back on that and point to why you do all the work you do. And, of course, it's always the time we point to the work that Eric Johnson does. <laughs> E10 Sports, Twitter, WSLS, News 10, NBC 10. Eric, thank you for your time today in the Fast Lane. Hopefully we didn't wear out our welcome uh, having you on quite a bit. Uh, but we enjoyed it, and we'd love to do it again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll have to run it back again. This has been great, man. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Eric Johnson with us here in the Fast Lane. That'll wrap it up for us today. Fastlane Ned Lane, where you listen to podcasts and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Trey Love, ET on his socials. We're back. More of these subjects with different angles, of course, tomorrow in the Fastlane, 5 to 6 p.m.